Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 16th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers Y-Tren Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris's Corner. (laughs) (laughs) We will probably do that tomorrow or the next day or something. That's awesome. Um... It was a question about someone who wants to know if you should get into filmmaker or not or something like that. So <laughs> so we'll have Chris answer that question. All right. I'm excited. Oh. I'm excited for my new, my new role. <laughs> You're the one that pitched this. So you can't... <laughs> I am excited. No, that was, okay. That's my excited voice. Uh... Oh, okay. I thought that's you were being genuine. sarcastic. No, no, no. That's just how I sound. <laughs> Okay, guys, uh, let's just jump into the news because we have a lot to get to since, you know, obviously we do water cooler on Monday. And let's start this off with what happened to one Star Wars writer on Friday. He basically got fired by Marvel. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Chuck Wendig, who is a best-selling author of the Aftermath series of novels in the Star Wars universe, he's also worked on a couple of Star Wars-related comics, and because Disney uh, owns both Lucasfilm and Marvel, Marvel Entertainment is the one who who publish Lucasfilm comics and Star Wars comics, just so everybody sort of knows where we're coming from on a baseline level there. But uh, yeah, Chuck Wendig was unceremoniously fired uh, on Friday basically because of the, the the quote that he says was because of the negativity and vulgarity that my tweets bring seriously that's what mark panacea the editor said it was too much vulgarity too much ne- negativity on my part so uh that's not just him swearing a lot on twitter i think there's something a little bit more sinister going on here because it basically boils down to the fact that Marvel Entertainment did not like his politics. Uh, Chuck Wendig is an, an outspoken liberal, and he is very, very, very vocal online, uh, especially on Twitter, sharing his uh, political views. And I think the the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation um, sort of sparked a, a fury of tweets from Wendig, and that basically 
turned him into a target of uh, conservative people, you know, the the alt right, uh, as it were, and um, and I guess basically became like put a target on his back. And it, and it uh, should also be noted in this kind of like a you know Last Jedi world <laughs> that we live in, uh, you know, with a lot of fans upset over. You know, direction of the franchise, you know, these fan babies who don't want female character, you know, all the stuff, uh, you know, Chuck has also been very uh, involved in responding to uh, fans and, and almost confrontational, I guess, in a little bit. Way. Yeah, yeah, he, he's definitely uh, lashed out against that particular subset of fandom uh, multiple times. It seems like, um, and you can read uh, we've we've transcribed the, this huge Twitter thread that he uh, that he wrote on Friday afternoon, um, and you can read the whole thing at slashhome.com. But he basically boils down to he's been completely fired from the company. He's been taken off of issues four and five of a uh, comic series called Shadow of Vader. He was also removed from a, a a new Star Wars novel that hasn't officially been uh, publicly announced yet. Um, and it's, it's uh, I guess, in the wake of the James Gunn news, this is another one of those situations that is starting to become really difficult to ignore for uh, Disney-related companies, um, and, and especially Marvel in general, because uh, Marvel Entertainment, I'm not sure if people know, but is is run by a guy named Ike Perlmutter, who is a, a very wealthy Republican who's a close friend of Donald Trump, and uh, he is, he's basically been running the Department of Veterans Affairs, even though he's not a veteran or he doesn't hold an official government position. So uh, it's very clear. It's it's easy to draw a line between uh, Chuck Wendig's vocal um, political tweets and the idea that Ike Perlmutter, a, a hardcore conservative, does not like the fact that somebody who is under his employment is, is being so vocal and targeting people that uh, Perlmutter supports. So, I, I mean... I don't think there's anything in here that explicitly says that that is the one and only reason that he was fired. But I, I think it would be um, it, you would have to be naive to think that that wasn't at least part of the reason for him to be fired here. Yeah. And uh, as a Star Wars fan, you know, I, I, I tried to read uh, he, he had the series of novels called the Aftermath trilogy that kind of took place between return of the jedi and force awakens i tried to read each one of them i'm not a fan of chuck's work as a writer that said this is bullshit <laughs> this is like yeah, 100 yeah. percent bullshit even though i'm not a fan of this guy uh i don't know it's just yeah that's completely beside the point for you know whether or not his his work is uh is yeah up to anybody's standard is um <laughs> it seems to be totally beside the point here because this just seems and and that's that's the other thing that he says in this uh in this tweet storm is that he was given no warning or anything it's it's just like it was completely out of the blue um and he's been very vocal on twitter for it's a so long much time out of the blue that at new york comic-con less than a week ago they announced a new series that he was going to be doing like that, right, that's yes. how out of the blue. Yeah. So this is not. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I suspect that it's because he became um, uh, he got put on a bunch of people's radar who he wasn't previously on, and um, and the decisions just started uh, domino affecting from there. I, I want to ask you guys if, if you were a creator uh, in the sense of a director or a writer, is there any incentive at all to 
voice your opinion on Twitter these days. Like, I mean, it, it feels like if I was a creator, I'd just shut up. I would shut down my Twitter account. Like, it, it, like, I, which is so sad because I love all these creators like James Gunn who would, you know, put out, you know, give us a glimpse in, into his process and and be and interact with fans. But like, what do you guys think? HD, do you have any opinion on this? Like, should it feels like there's nothing to be gained by? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it's that's unfortunate that this is kind of what the world has come to because I do think that Twitter has become a vital platform for creators to engage with their fans and to engage with their audience on a direct level. And at the same time, they also have this huge platform to espouse whatever like political issues or important issues that they want to bring to light. So I don't I think that there is importance in like Twitter platform. But then like because everything has become so um, just polarized recently and how like Twitter has enabled a lot of people to like orchestrate mass campaigns to, you know, get people fired, which they shouldn't be able to like that shouldn't that should be something unrelated to that. So it's just uh it's it's so infuriating and it, it it upsets me a lot that that's that it like this is kind of just like scaring creators or potentially scare creators out of you know voicing their opinions or being able to actually use Twitter for for what it was intended to be well I don't even know what it was intended yeah. to be the first like what what did it, it it should be yeah uh, Chris I'm wondering what you think do you think we might go back to a time I remember back I mean before we were born uh, I, I think like Hollywood and celebrities it was kind of a no-no to even talk about politics because they didn't want to alienate any of their audience I don't know I don't want it to go back to that I mean I feel like uh, it's important especially now more than ever for people to stand up and you know say what they believe in and call out things that are inherently wrong i mean look i don't want to go off on like a rant here but we we've gotten to this point where people are acting like certain things are partisan issues and they really shouldn't be it's it's literally like stuff that's good and stuff that's just genuinely bad and that's not a partisan issue that's just it's common sense we should as a society should know what's right and what's wrong and it's it's bullshit that people are trying to turn that into like Oh, that's just your political belief. And it, it's really, it shouldn't be, you know, it should uh, caring about other people should not be a political belief. It should just be like common sense, but we're in this really awful time period right now where I don't know if we're ever going to come out of it at the same time, it's exhausting to try and engage with these, you know, certain people like, you know, I'm, I'm by no means a famous person, but Every once in a while, I'll get, you know, someone in my my mentions calling me out for something. And it's clear there's some sort of like, you know, alt-right, uh, you know, not like a, a huge alt-right figurehead, but they're, they definitely support those those views. And I, you know, the minute I see their tweet, I just block them because it's, I don't, I'm not going to gain anything by engaging in like an argument and they're just going to make me angry and depressed. So, you know, I don't really know. And that's probably the right thing to do. I, I engage way too much when I probably shouldn't. And uh, we even had a writer recently that uh, got kind of uh, pushed into a, a confrontation with someone and it said something they shouldn't have and, uh, you know, got suspended from Twitter for, you know, uh, calling someone a name or something like that. Uh, so it, it's, I don't know. Think about, before you respond, think about it. I, I think Chris is... 
uh, method of just blocking them <laughs> and not even having the converta- conversation is probably best, even though that sounds horrible coming out of my mouth. But uh, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, let's move on to the Flash. HT, what is going on with that Flash movie? Like we saw that announced what two years ago, three years ago at this point. Like, wh- mm-hmm. Where is it? It's been delayed again. So uh, Variety reports that Warner Brothers has pushed back the expected production start date for the Flash standalone movie, which still has yet to be titled. Um, Back in 2017, it was announced that the Flash standalone movie would be a Flashpoint film. But that was when Rick Famuyiwa was still director and he uh, was he departed soon after. So to go back to the beginning, uh, the Flash was intended to begin shooting. In, 29, in March 2019, but because of star Ezra Miller's obligations to the Fantastic Beasts franchise, um, he, it has been pushed back to potentially late 2019 with a, with a release date for 2021, ar- around that time. So, um, And because um, Fantastic Beasts began shooting in July 2019, it would not have made sense for them to start The Flash earlier. And it seems that they've kind of put it on the back burner and uh it feels like the flash movie is kind of in danger of being sent into the void as <laughs> the cyborg standalone movie has uh, and it's the, one of the long lists of troubles that this movie has had on the road to the big screen uh it first has gone through many directors seth graham smith and rick familia were, were the first to board and exit the project within a span of two years starting in like 2016 currently john francis daly and jonathan goldstein are attached to direct um, and they're apparently uh, reportedly tweaking the tw- uh, tweaking the script as of the, uh, now. So um, there's still plans to do this film, but it's actually uh, ironically not been officially greenlit by the studio yet. So it seems like they're developing it with the f- plan to make it at some point, um, but they don't want to tie themselves to any date. So as of now, we probably won't see The Flash until around 2021. And that's uh, more than that's about seven years since uh, Ezra Miller was first cast as the Flash. Oh, jeez. Um, the, the article, the source article of this, also notes that uh, Warner Brothers seems to be moving past Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill uh, for S- Superman and Batman. It makes me wonder: Do you think? Do you think when we actually do get the Flash movie that it will be Ezra Miller as the Flash? I mean, that's a good question. I feel like even now Ezra Miller is, you know, putting Fantastic Beasts, uh, prioritizing Fantastic Beasts and doesn't seem to be uh, intent on making the Flash movie anytime soon. Uh, It's Wonder Brothers could totally just revamp their entire cinematic universe with an entirely new cast, except for (laughs) Wonder Woman. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's possible, especially since Justice League was a little bit of a box office disappointment. And speaking of Warner Brothers' upcoming plans, in the works with a bunch of new animated movies, Tom and Jerry, Scooby-Doo, and the Flintstones. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so right around the time um, the the Lego movie, the first Lego movie came out, uh, Warner Brothers launched this sort of, uh, it's called the Warner Animation Group. It's, you know, it's, it's strictly devoted to animated films. 
and now they're they're gearing up to just do a whole bunch of titles, uh, familiar titles, and turn them into films. the The reasoning is, you know, Warner's owns all these, you know, properties, and rather than developing brand new franchises that they don't own yet, they want to just use what they have and turn these things into. Uh, franchises and the plan is to do a mix of both animation and live action slash animation hybrids. So uh, some of the titles are um, there's a Tom and Jerry movie with Tim Story who directed the the first two Fantastic Four movies. He's directing that. Uh, there's a new Scooby Doo movie with Chris Columbus serving as producer. There's a Jetsons movie. There's a new Flintstones movie. There's, you know, basically all everything, every old Saturday morning cartoon is getting its own uh, new movie from Warner Brothers. And, uh, you know, the story in you know, this broken variety in the story says that they're, they're taking this very seriously and they're having, you know, everyone work together, you know, the animators and the directors and the, and the previs people, because they want to make these films look you know, cutting edge. They don't want it to just look like, you know, uh, a standard animated movie. They want it to look like the best possible animated movie they possibly can have. So that's, uh, that's on the future for Warner Brothers. And this also includes, you know, of course, Space Jam 2, which has been in development for a long time. And there's a Wiley E. Coyote movie that was previously announced. So these all fall under this, uh, this, this blanket of films. Now, you know, I, I think we all grew up on these properties. I, I loved Scooby-Doo. I watched the Flintstones and and uh, the Jetsons. Uh, but I think traditionally theatrical animated films, if you look at like, you know, the history of Walt Disney Animation Studios and their theatrical films have been kind of original properties or, or basing it off fairy tales. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not uh, franchises. Uh even even if you look at like DreamWorks and uh, Illumination Entertainment, sure they have created franchises, but they weren't like these big franchises uh, to begin with. Uh, what, what do you think? Like, I know this Warner Brothers Animation Group, like you know, uh, Lord and Miller are part of this. Uh, they they have some great creative people involved, but do do you think going in this direction and concentrating on studio franchises is the way to go? I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm I'm out of the loop. I'm an old man now, but like do do kids still like these cartoons? Like I guess Scooby-Doo has never gone out of style, but do kids even know who Tom and Jerry are anymore? I feel like that's not like a property anyone cares about anymore. Like I, I could see like the Flintstones, I guess people still know that and like I said Scooby-Doo, but I I don't picture kids kids these days caring about Tom and Jerry. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like we, we never see Disney making Mickey Mouse uh, theatrical movies. Like, it would be, like, in line with that, I think, right? Yeah, it would be like that. Yeah, they don't do that anymore because they know they have, you know, better characters now. <laughs> okay, let's move on from uh, from Warner Brothers to Netflix. Uh, Netflix announced uh, over the weekend that they are canceling Iron Fist, uh, one of the Marvel series, but it might not be dead. Ben, what do we know? Yes, so... Uh... 
Marvel and Netflix uh, released a joint statement that said Marvel's Iron Fist will not return for a third season on Netflix. And later in the statement, it says, while the series on Netflix has ended, the immortal Iron Fist will live on. So that part has uh, led to some speculation about the potential future of the show. So the second season of Iron Fist was seen generally seen as a, a big improvement over the first season, which was <laughs> large, like universally considered considered to be pretty terrible. Um, but uh, something happens in the second season of Iron Fist that really sort of changes things up in, in an interesting way. And I, full disclosure, have not watched any of Iron Fist. I, I'm not. I- I think Chris is the only one here who has seen Iron Fist. Chris, how much of Iron Fist have you seen? I saw the first season, and that was enough for me. I I didn't need to see any (laughs) more. So there's something that I think is it's interesting to me as somebody who's never watched Iron Fist. So I think maybe we can throw a spoiler warning here and talk about this thing. So if, if for some reason you're a fan of the Iron Fist franchise but have not caught up with the second season yet and you don't want to be spoiled, maybe skip ahead a few minutes, but... I'm about to reveal something that happens in the second season of Iron Fist right now. So this is your last chance to skip ahead. So in the second season, the power of Iron Fist transfers from Danny Rand to his partner, Colleen Wing, who's played by Jessica Henwick in the show. And uh, apparently the the powers that she displays as Iron Fist far surpass what Danny and and the villain have achieved with those same powers. So that's a, a big change from what happens in the comic books, but it it sort of leads to this interesting position for the character of Iron Fist and, and what that means. So uh, Brad, who wrote this article for Slash Film, speculates that maybe because Disney has their own streaming service that it's launching next year, maybe they could launch a, another... Um, I guess another version of Iron Fist, maybe with Jessica Henwick sort of leading the charge there that wouldn't necessarily be as connected to the Marvel Netflix shows. Um, They could incorporate the Iron Fist characters into the third season of Luke Cage, which uh, because those characters, uh, Iron Fist and Luke Cage are connected in the comics, um, they they team up to form a, a team called Heroes for Hire. Uh, Disney could maybe make a Heroes for Hire show as like one of the flagship shows of Disney play their streaming service and have that be another show that sort of is separate from this universe. There there are a lot of different options here and a lot of different ways for the iron fist, uh, cast and and characters to stay connected and, and, um, you know, stick around basically, even though a a traditional show is not, uh, you know, they're not going to fall under the banner of the iron fist TV show anymore. But, um, what do you guys uh... think about this? There's also um, the possibility of doing a Daughters of the Dragon series. Um, in the comics, uh, Colleen Wing is partnered with uh, Misty Knight, and they do their sort of vigilante duo that go under the title of Daughters of the Dragon. And that was something that a lot of fans have been calling for as well, especially after the characters finally meet in Iron Fist season two. I wonder if like there's something in the contracts that would prevent that from happening because from my perspective and again as somebody who doesn't watch these shows i think it would be really um a smart way if it's legal i don't even know if disney (laughs) can do this but for them to basically create a heroes for hire show and a daughters of the dragon show and have just those be on the disney streaming service and then basically just as a way for them to sort of uh move on from netflix who's going to be like one of their biggest competitors peter do you know anything about the way that those kind of contracts would work or do you think that's (laughs) something they could do well they haven't really 
revealed that much about it. We do know that the Marvel Netflix shows will continue after the Disney streaming service will start. And I was kind of under the impression, like reading between the lines, that basically Netflix, since they're producing the Marvel TV shows on Netflix, that they kind of own those actors and those characters on Netflix. It's probably also part of the reason why we don't see them in the movies. Um, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing honestly that we won't see any of the characters on the Disney streaming service. I'm, I'm betting that your first guess is right, that we could see the Iron Fist storyline continue on Luke Cage on Netflix. But, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it would be interesting to see if they could jump over, but I, I don't expect that just knowing what I know about, uh, how, you know, these <laughs> these streaming deals work but uh yeah let, let's move on to another tv series that is uh there is a dracula tv series coming from the creators of sherlock and this is gonna be on netflix and bbc hd you wrote about this for us what do we know dracula is being resurrected once again um and be prepared for him to be young and sexy because that's what <laughs> the creators of sherlock are, are have known to be done for the modern day sherlock uh so uh the creators of Sherlock, who are Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss, are teaming up with Netflix and BBC to create a Dracula series. Um, and it's going to be similar, actually, to uh, the Sherlock BBC series, um, which also helped launch the career of Benedict Cumberbatch, um, in that it will consist of three 90-minute installments with potential for more should the series prove popular. I think Sherlock technically is still running, and if they want to go back to it, they can just create more series but uh they, by the way I, think that... I, I hate these three 90 minute series like <laughs> that, that annoys me so much i give me like eight British. episodes or i don't know what, what do you think hg like do you I enjoy mean, the they're... like I, I was really into Sherlock when it first came out. I've kind of fallen out of love with it since then um i think that if they work if you don't think of them as a tv series and just like films because 90 minutes is basically is an hour and a half it's like three little mini films every time and if you think of it as just like a, a mini series that eventually comes back every now and then and maybe doesn't i i don't mind that format but uh yes so stephen moffat and mark gatiss are working on this uh series which will not take place in modern day but will take place in 1897 victorian london so it's bringing it's the same setting that uh, dracula has traditionally been set in but is bringing him over to uh london instead of transylvania as he was in before i'm pretty sure um and uh it's um some a period piece uh it's going into production uh we don't know when yet, <laughs> but um, it will probably be sometime soon or in the near future. Stephen Moffat is also currently busy working on an HBO series, The Time Traveler's Wife. Um, and so we don't really know when exactly this will come about, but it will air on both Netflix and the BBC. Now, I'm tempted to naysay this and say Dracula has been done to death. That There's been so many TV shows and movies that have taken on the, the story of Dracula, but... I guess the same could have been said for Sherlock Holmes, right? Before Sherlock came out. Yeah, they they did a good job of sexifying Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> I keep saying that, but it was true. He has a huge fan base. I have um, some sort of reservations about Moffat and Gatiss because uh, Moffat was a showrunner for Doctor Who for several seasons. And under that, it had some highs and lows. But I think that Moffat uh, has some 
kind of narrow-minded writing when it comes to female characters. This is a, a, a so it's something that a lot of his critics fixate on. He kind of has a thing for um, writing about white male exceptionalism a lot. It's something that you see in Sherlock as well as in Doctor Who. And it can get a little bit tiring after a while, especially when the female and minority characters kind of get pushed aside, which is something that I fear for this new Dracula series. But it's possible that he's growing with the times and it'll be a Another fun Dracula series, uh, and our latest sexy version after Luke <laughs> Evans played the character in the 2014 Dracula Untold. <laughs> I think you said sexy four times now. I did. <laughs> uh, Chris, you are a resident horror expert. Are you are you interested in a new uh, BBC version of Dracula? I am. I love Dracula. I was actually thinking the other day, man, I could go for a new Dracula. <laughs> Were you really? I'm not even kidding. I was literally thinking that, and now it's happening, and. Uh, I do agree with HT that, you know, I do have some reservations, you know, with Moffat, but uh, I, I'm a little hopeful for this. I And I actually like the three 90 minute things because it's it's I don't know. I find that less things to watch is always good because I have so much crap to watch. You know, I'm, I'm fine with the I can sit through this for 90 minutes and it's over with. I'm OK with that. So I, I hope this turns out well. But I guess it it really depends on who they cast, really. You know, like, I don't know how. Like, I hope they're not going to go for, like, really young-looking Dracula, because that's going to be really distracting, but I guess we'll see. I don't know. I, I guess I could get into the almost feature-length TV episode concept, but I feel like maybe if, like, Disney started doing this with their streaming service, where they released a, you know, quote-unquote TV movie once every you know four months and they did it in that format maybe i could get around it but as as a tv series wait how was sherlock even released in the bbc do you do you know i think it was weekly it was like over a period of three weeks so one week would be the first 90 minute episode the second week would be a third and the you know third week would be the third and yeah, then, and then it would, there would be like a year long or two year long hiatus yeah it'd be a very long hiatus but that's like that goes for a lot of uk shows they they do that very long hiatus for some reason i guess they're busy i don't know <laughs> i guess that's what bugs me the most is the hiatus and then by the time it comes back on you kind of forget what had happened not that sherlock requires much of a serialized premise but um yeah i don't know okay let's move on to uh fox who I guess is going to be testing a new way to do commercials during a fall Sunday lineup. Uh, Chris, tell us about it. Yes. Yeah, so in, uh, you know, Fox's attempt to battle the world of streaming, which becomes more and more popular, they're trying out this thing now where they have both extra long and extra short commercials. Uh, but at the same time, they're going to cut back on the ad time by 50%. So the way it starts is so there are two things. There's a five and a half minute long uh, break of commercials called Fox Blocks. And then there's a shorter one called Jazz Pods. I don't know why they're called that. And I don't want to know because, you know, that name, that name stands for itself. You don't really need to know more when it's called Jazz Pods. <laughs> Wait, how, how long is a Jazz Pod? Uh, the Jazz Pod is about two minutes. So, no, it's two commercials. So the so longer like one, long or so. yeah. So the, the longer ones are five and a half minutes. The shorter ones is just two commercials. So the the longer starts out. So like the first commercial break is the five and a half minute one. Then the second commercial break will be the the two the two commercial one, and then it'll repeat the next show. So you know it's less commercials, but 
longer blocks of commercials at first, which is sort of similar to what Hulu does, where you get like a very long block of commercials before a show starts. So this isn't like a permanent thing. They're, they're just testing it out over three Sundays in the fall for their, their Sunday night lineup. And then I guess they're going to see how well that does to decide if they're going to keep it up. Yeah, I've, I've also noticed I, uh, when I watched the first two episodes of Manifest, which I gave up on, by the way, uh, th- that show, the first commercial break, it even had like a bumper before the commercial break. It was like, here's like a minute of commercials, like telling you that it's going to come back in a minute. I thought that was kind of strange. Um, I watch all my stuff on DVR if, if it's not on streaming. So I'm fast forwarding through the commercials anyways. So I'm wondering if this is to combat streaming or combat DVR because I kind of have a down where I can press the the fast forward button on my uh, Apple TV remote enough times to get it to the three minutes perfectly. So it'll skip a commercial. So I'm wondering if they're like trying to trick people into not knowing like the commercial break. It sounds similar actually to what to that piece that Ben wrote about movie trailers airing like 30, 20, like 15 seconds of the trailer before the actual trailer. I hate that. Uh, as like the bumper <laughs> in, a, in an attempt to like um, get, get, behind, get like to avoid the YouTube skip ads essentially. And I feel like that's something similar, but with TV commercials instead. What, what, what do you think, Ben? What are, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's it's. How do you watch your TV? Do you watch it on DVR? uh, Yeah, most of the time it's on DVR, and I'm sort of like you, Peter, where I I generally have a pretty good idea. I don't have like a specific my uh, the remote that I use doesn't allow like go forward thirty seconds. Like I know that I think TiVo does that and some of the other um, services, but mine is just like a a generic fast forward button. So I have to sort of time it. um, Based on like what I'm seeing on the screen, and I'm generally pretty decent at at getting pretty close and and sort of knowing how long those breaks are so i think you're probably pretty on point there with your guess that this is just in order to sort of switch things up and basically force people into pushing play at the wrong time and and just you know because if you get good enough then you're basically skipping all commercials and not seeing anything but if if they're, they're just trying to do anything to disrupt the familiarity and try to like force you to lay your eyes on some sort of a company's product <laughs> trying to sell something. So um, I, I, I'm guessing that this is probably going to work out pretty well for them. And you mentioned that uh, you're watching Manifest and they did this uh, one minute thing. Uh, the Good Place has been doing that this season, too. They'll they'll have a thing where they're like, we're coming back in exactly one minute. And so it, it helps me because I know that that's when I have to hit play when I'm still fast forwarding through the commercials. It doesn't make me want to watch any commercials for one minute. I just fast forward for a shorter period of time. But uh, I don't know. Maybe some people would be more willing to just be like, oh, it's just a minute. That's fine. I won't fast forward through these or something like that. Like, I wonder how many people these days – there's probably a study out there don't have a DVR or a way to skip commercials because I, I wonder if like – that this one minute thing is kind of like be like oh you don't have time to go to the bathroom or leave the room right you know for my dad who doesn't skip commercials or whatever mm-hmm. chris do you have a dvr it's a, how's your setup i do not i don't really want if i have to watch tv i watch it via hulu uh we have like you know right standard cable but we almost never watch it and uh, on hulu you you've 
have to watch the commercials? You're stuck with yeah, that? it does not let you fast forward through the commercials, unfortunately. So I usually get up and leave the room and then come back. <laughs> it's, like old, it's like old school watching TV where you just take a bathroom break during the commercials. Yeah, exactly. You're going to snack. HD, what about you? I know, you don't have cable, do you? Uh, I do have cable. Um, I don't know if I'll be ca- having cable soon, but I have cable as of now and I do have a DVR. So it helps out a lot. And But I don't actually watch TV um, that much unless it's just kind of background noise or something. So I don't use it that much. Well, it sounds like you don't need cable. So <laughs> yeah, I'm a cord cutter. <laughs> yes, you 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 fit the the millennial mold of the cord mm-hmm. cutter. Um, okay, let's get into our spoiler room segment. Uh, I only put this in the spoiler room because uh, it's going to reveal some details from the movie Searching, some spoilers in that movie. So if you haven't seen Searching, uh, you might want to turn this off now. Save this for after you've seen the movie, which we we all have seen and we highly recommend. Um, but uh, Ben. Tell us about the story about the searching Easter eggs. Yeah, so the movie is getting ready to come out on home video, and uh, this uh, website called Inverse had an exclusive, um, like one of the bonus features, uh, called the theory behind Easter eggs. And there is this really cool aspect of uh, one of these bonus features where, um, so the movie takes place entirely on computer screens. Everybody probably should know that at this point if you're still listening now. And there's a a moment where uh, David Kim, who is uh, John Cho's character, is looking through his email inbox, and about halfway down, in his emails, there is a message from a person named Sev Ohanian, and the subject is my theory. And you can read on the screen, this is in the movie, it says, it's obvious what happened. Your daughter was catfished by this fish and chips character who is no doubt the son of, and then the the preview sort of cuts off, so you're not able to see it any, any further than there. But Sev Ohanian is the producer and co-writer of Searching. So within the movie itself, the the co-writer and producer emailed the lead character and spoils the ending of the movie um which is like i i don't know if that's happened before i'm sure it has but this is the kind of the perfect movie for a little easter egg like that because there's so much happening on the screens at, at certain times if you look at you know, the sidebars and like the bottom scrollers and stuff like that. There, there are a ton, there's tons of information on the screen to take in at all times. So unless you're really, really zeroed in and looking for a specific thing, you're probably not going to um, really pick out something like this. So it was just really a, a fun Easter egg for them to drop in. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I just thought it was really cool that the, uh, the co-writer and producer <laughs> emailed his own lead character. Yeah, I've heard there's a ton of Easter eggs in this movie. There's like this whole like alien invasion thing going on in the background. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read about that. Like there's like some kind of story going on in the news in the background. And there's uh, one of our readers wrote us wrote in that there at one point one of the the like news tickers or something talks about how long someone can can last without water like really uh, yeah oh, interesting so it's kind of a setup for later in the movie yeah <laughs> uh in a small little easter egg in in, in the film which I, I i think is pretty cool um chris you talked about just finally seeing this movie uh yesterday on the water cooler i think um what do you do you like easter eggs like this is this something you dig yes this is my kind of easter egg like i don't really care when you know, Marvel does it because I, you know, I don't care. <laughs> but this, you know, this is my kind of Easter egg. This is fun, and it actually makes me want to go back 
and rewatch it now to see, you know, like what I missed. Yeah, I want to like rewatch it with the pause button, you know, and like read mm-hmm. every single thing on the screen to see what they hid in in the margins. Like, yeah, this is the movie that gets better on rewatch, even just watching in the theaters where you couldn't pause the button. Ben, I I am a little uh, flabbergasted that you think that this that there could have been another movie where in the movie the director emails the character telling him how the movie's going to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I you know there have been a lot of movies in the world, Peter, and in, in history, and I don't want to uh, to completely make a statement where I'm like this has never been done before without doing any research whatsoever because I'm sure that somebody has done if not this then something similar. But uh, I, I just think it, it especially works considering the format and the the presentation of this movie. Um, and I know that there hasn't really been a movie that has been done in the same manner as searching but um but i i wouldn't put it past some other director to have put in a similar easter egg in a maybe a more traditional film probably get some emails telling us all about how some other director has done exactly this yeah oh i'm sure um I love these kind of Easter eggs. I, I would actually, if we ever did an article talking about the best Easter eggs in film history, I think this is one of them to be in my, in my mind. Uh, it's interesting because I was listening to, I, I've talked about listening to the inside, uh, Be- the Better Call Saul podcast and uh, creator Vince Gilligan has been talking about uh, when they filmed uh, Breaking Bad, they filmed it on uh, film, 35 millimeter film. Uh, so the background props and stuff like that, uh, was just generic stuff that the like prop department like you know, you know newspapers or you know it, it didn't have anything to do with the show. But for Better Call Saul, everything is custom created for that show because it's shot on you know 4K uh, high definition cameras, which you know everybody can pause and see what's in the background. And there's so many things that like they hide in the background of even that show that uh, I don't know. I just love when. When, when a creator puts that much care into even the little details, then you know that they care about the big details, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, but anyways, okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, ben, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. Chris, where can we find you? I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEOVangelista413. And HT, where can we find you? Also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find this podcast published every weekday on SlashFilm.com and uh, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. You can find all the stories we talked about on today's podcast on in the show notes and on slashfilm.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com and go to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. Help spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow. HD, so what do you watch in the background on your TV? Oh, Chopped, usually. <laughs> this is, like, not something that I... I uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes I use to watch, like, Doctor Who, for example, or sh- or shows that I want to see live, but something that I generally don't need to pay attention to, like reality TV or reruns of Friends. Ben, do you ever watch anything in the background? I know Brad works with stuff in the background. I can't do it. I can't do it at all. I, I just get too distracted, so I just sort of power through work and then maybe watch stuff in the evening or something. But <laughs> Chris, what about you? 
Yeah, I, I can't have stuff on in the background while I'm working because then I'll just stop and watch it. So, no. <laughs> See, when I was younger, I used to have like DVD commentaries running on in the background. Just oh, I can't list. do that. Yeah, but I can't do it now. I, I can't work and do it at the same time. I listen to a ton of podcasts and like in between when I'm like walking to go to the bathroom or anytime I leave walk away from my computer for even if it's just for to like take the laundry out for two minutes or something, I'll just be listening to a podcast and I'll like just pause and play it. You know, I'll only listen to like a two minute stretch and then I'll work for like two straight hours and then go back and listen to the next three minute that's, stretch. And then, so so I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I can keep, I can, I can track the, the stories or whatever in my mind, but um, I don't know that that's the only thing that I do that. And it's not even technically while I'm working, it's just sort of like in between, you know, on breaks or like while I'm eating lunch or something, maybe I'll listen to a podcast or something like that, but uh, that's only for like half an hour. So I feel like I would lose track of the conversations if I was listening to a conversation in like a three minute chunks. I don't know. I, I guess I've just been doing it for years that I've I've gotten pretty good at it. If it's if you can, I mean, that's like the lamest skill of all time, I guess. <laughs> ben, that's what you're good at. <laughs> Put it on your resume. 